Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Uh, we will have special attention to, pay special attention to verse 12 today. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Do... You pray. Why do you pray? How do you pray? Bible reading and prayer are central to the Christian life, and yet I fear that they are both severely neglected by many, if not most, Christians. Our theology of prayer is likely a part of the problem. We have wrong conceptions of prayer. We don't know what prayer is accomplishing. We don't know why we're praying. We don't know how to pray. That is, if we don't think about prayer the way God teaches us to think about it, then we have a deficiency. Perhaps that's because we don't read our Bibles or we don't pay attention to what he has to say about prayer. Our focus today will be on verse 12, which reads, in whom We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. This is the apex and the climax of Paul's argument so far. Everything he said has been leading to this point, to this statement. Too often we think that Christian salvation has to do with with, uh, what we want, like Things like heaven or something that we need. And certainly it does. God does address our needs. He meets our needs. These blessings are true, but there remains something that's even greater. God's desire, God's design, God's plan is to bring us into His presence and to enable us to commune with Him and to do so by way of prayer and worship. That's the goal, to be in communion with Him, to be in communication with Him. Regardless of the circumstances of the world, regardless of the circumstances in our personal life, or as Paul says, even in his life during his imprisonment, we need not be overly troubled. You know why? Because we are never out of the presence of God. We are never outside of His Full, undivided attention. Let that soak in for a moment. You, no matter where you are, no matter what time of day, you are never outside His full, undivided 
attention. You have all of his attention all the time. He is always available to us. Maybe you've seen one of those old westerns where the cowboy is pinned down uh, with bullets flying from every direction and he looks up to heaven and says something like, well, God, if you're not too busy, I could use some help down here. That's kind of one of those common views that somehow God is off in heaven doing things and occasionally we kind of knock on the door and try to trouble him for a moment and get his attention. You have his attention. He may not have yours, but you have his. The words of, from Joseph Scriven's hymn come to mind. What a friend we have in Jesus All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise, forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In His arms, He'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there. Imagine a child facing a bully on the playground. Fear grips his heart. And then turning to look over his shoulder, he realizes his father has walked up at just the right time. Now he turns back to face the bully with a newfound boldness and confidence. This must be what David felt when he faced Goliath. Paul has already introduced us to several profound doctrines regarding what God has done for us in Christ. All of what was intended to all of that was intended to lead us to this place where we can say in whom We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Sound doctrine, rightly understood, always leads to practical Christian living. Practical Christian living is another saying, another way of saying that we know what to do when life is coming at us. Doctrine teaches us not only what to believe, but it always goes on to teach us what to do And how to do it. And so if your doctrine just stops with the recitation of the Nicene Creed or the Westminster Confession and never gets around to that most important question, so what? Then it is of little value. So when you face a trial or persecution or sickness or failure or financial troubles or marital troubles or children troubles or or friendship troubles, or enemies, or troubles in the church, or work, or pain, death, whatever. Where do you go? 
And what do you do first? The unsearchable riches of Christ are at your disposal, but you will never be rich if you don't know how to access those riches. They do you no good in the vault. There might have been a time of enmity and estrangement between, estrangement between you and God, but that enmity has been removed by Christ, and now through Him we have access by one Spirit to the Father. Paul's already told us in chapter 2, verse 18 of Ephesians. And please notice that the Apostle says, uses the word we, in whom we have boldness and access uh, with confidence through faith in Him. It's not just the apostles that are doing this. It's not just the pastors that do this. He said all of us have this. It's a collective we have boldness and confidence in this access to God. So now we come to the practical application of this powerful doctrine, this powerful teaching. Again, how do you pray? What do you think and how do you feel when you pray? Do you avoid it? Or do you eagerly enjoy it? Are you timid? Are you halting when you pray? Are you reluctant? Or can your praying be characterized in any sense as bold and confident? To be bold means to be fearless, to be free from doubt. So what are you afraid of when you pray? Do you think that you're bothering God or that he really doesn't want to see you or hear from you? But you see, he sent his son in order to give you access to him. That's how much he wants to see you. That's how badly he wants you to come into his presence. This is the most exclusive place in the universe. And Christ has opened the door and invited you to come in. You have been given the privilege of admission and entrance. God is already favorably disposed toward you. You know, imagine someone going to see their boss to ask for a raise. And they're timid and worried and don't know exactly what they're going to say. And they don't know what he's going to say. And they're not sure how he's going to receive this. That's not at all the case with our Heavenly Father. He loves us. He wants us to come. And so we don't have to be concerned about whether we're going to be favorably received or not. He welcomes your coming. He not only wants you to come, He wants you to come with confidence. I think this is important. We are not beggars. I hear this from time to time from well-meaning Christians, perhaps some of you, and I'm sure I've done it as well. We should never pray, Lord, I beg you to, you're not a beggar. We're not there trembling under the table trying to get crumbs. We're children. We're heirs. We're sons. We used to be beggars. And so, we have to learn how to pray how to come before God with boldness and confidence. Obviously, everything new feels odd. We're nervous about everything new, even good things, right? Some, something that turns out to be a wonderful thing. Uh, if, you know, if you look at newlyweds, they're 
always a little nervous about being new. They've got to figure out how this works and get their sea legs, so to speak. But soon it becomes normal and regular, and they're comfortable in it. Everything new feels odd and awkward, and praying is no different from that. It's a learning process. Dr. Lloyd-Jones gives this illustration. Think, for instance, of learning to ride a bicycle. The first moment when the hand of the one teaching you was taken away, you were hesitant, you were uncertain, you were frightened. But you soon reached a point when, having ridden alone a number of times, you attained confidence. And you are ready to go alone on the street and around the corners and up the hills. You have developed confidence. It is always the result of a process. A speaker may be nervous when he starts speaking, but after he's spoken a few sentences, he loses his nervousness and gains confidence. Such is the term the apostle uses, and it means that we are to go into the presence of God with confidence because of a process through which we have gone. It is the result of something that has taken place. You see, having learned right doctrine, that is a true theology of prayer, that will change how we pray. So, for example, I already mentioned, we're not beggars. We're not coming in trembling or crawling. We're walking in with confidence. And we're going to see because it's what Christ has done for us. It's what our position is. It changes how I think about prayer. Hebrews 10, 19-22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, remember the Old Testament tabernacle temple, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies once a year, and he did did so trembling. But now, because of the blood of Jesus, has completely taken away our sin. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's the blood of the Lamb of God that has taken away all of our sin. So now, we don't go in trembling like the high priest. We go in In the wake of Jesus, and we do so standing upright, we do so boldly and with confidence. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So where does this boldness and confidence come from? What makes it possible? Notice that the Apostle answers this question twice in verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. He starts with in Him and he ends with in Him. You see, there is no prayer. There is no access to God. There is no entry into His presence except through Jesus Christ. Jesus already had said, you remember, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. This is an exclusive claim of Jesus, and it banishes all other hopes of access to God by any other means. Now, sometimes people will object to this, find it objectionable, because that means that there is no alternative access. You mean it's only through Jesus? You can't do this through some other 
religious system? Isn't everybody talking to the same God? You see, the, God sent His Son in order to give us access. Otherwise, we are denied access due to our sins. That's why He sent His Son, to take care of that problem. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. If there were other ways to access God, then there would have been no need to send Jesus to come into the world. Everything Jesus did was done in order to give us that access. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? Why did He go to the cross? Why did He die? The just for the unjust in order that He might bring us to God. God is picky about how He wants to be approached. When God called Moses to come up to the mountaintop, He taught Moses how He wanted to be worshipped. He said in Hebrews 8.5, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. We don't just stroll into the presence of God and have a chat. He is holy and we are not. Do you remember Isaiah's response when he was brought into the presence of God in Isaiah 6? Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And there is the example, of course, of Aaron's two sons who thought that they could rush into the presence of God And just do it their way. They were hip, I guess. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. Remember, God had given very specific instructions about what kind of incense to use. And incense, by the way, is a symbol in the Old Testament of prayer. Oh, we'll just stroll in before God and do it how we want to do it. We're not going to go to all that trouble. Uh, And so each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all people, I must be glorified. Sometimes we're reluctant to go before God or else we go timidly because we have a guilty conscience or because we're ashamed of what we've done. We feel unworthy. Our sins are before us. So how could I enter into communion with a holy God given how sinful I am? What assurance do I have that He will receive me and not treat me like He did uh, Nadab and Abihu? Boldness seems pretty far from me sometimes. Confidence. Again, our text provides the answer. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Jesus Christ. Our only assurance comes by believing and trusting, that is, having faith alone in the Son of God. 
who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. It's true that all your righteousness is as filthy rags. But you see, here's the good news. We don't stand before God in those filthy rags. That was all I had to offer. Filthy rags. But God says, you know what I'm going to do before you come in and before you come see me? I'm going to, I'm going to wash you and I'm going to give you a change of clothes. He clothed me with the righteousness of Christ. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? For He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Revelation 1.5-6, To Him, that is Christ, who loved us and washed us of our sins, from our sins in His own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That's how this old wretched sinner can come before him. God says, I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to make you whiter than snow. That's how. I'm going to do it for you. You can't do it. You're too dirty. But I can do it for you. We wrestle because of our old conscience. The story is told about a dream Martin Luther had in which he found himself being attacked by Satan. The devil unrolled a long scroll containing a list of Luther's sins and held it before him. And upon reaching the end of the scroll, Luther asked the devil, Is that all? No, came the reply. And a second scroll was thrust in front of him. And then after a second came a third but now the devil had no more. You've forgotten something, Luther exclaimed triumphantly. Quickly write on each of them, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sins. Romans 8.1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Do you hear that? There is zero condemnation against you because of what Christ has done for you. And so it is true that we have nothing in our hands to bring. True that there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But that is only part of the story. And a partial truth is no truth at all. Hebrews 4, 14-16, Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. What this means 
is that we cannot depend upon our moods and our feelings when it comes to prayer. Obedience to God can't be dependent on what we feel like. If you wait until you're in the mood, you might not ever pray. I have often felt like not praying. I have never prayed and regretted it. Have you? Have you ever prayed and when you were finished and you said amen, you said, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Of course not. And yet next time, when you ought to be praying, you don't. You're reluctant. Why? Because of a false theology, because of a false notion of somehow I've got to get cleaned up myself before God will hear me. Stop it. You can't. So, here's a recommendation. Talk to yourself. That's okay. Remind yourself of this doctrine of access and of boldness and of confidence. Yes, you're wretched, but the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient to deal with that. Start out with a confession and, and be cleansed. First John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, it's true. We deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Yes, I'm a sinner. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every last bit of it. And remember that you're not alone and that God is no longer angry with you. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He Himself made a propitiation for our sins. He took all that anger, all that just wrath that God had toward us and our sins. And Jesus said, I'll take that for you. That's taken care of too. Tell yourself these things, and then you go to God in boldness and with confidence. You go before your Heavenly Father who loves you with an everlasting love, and then don't forget to thank Him for all of it. For His love, for His grace, for His mercy, for His goodness, for His wisdom, for His salvation, and that's going to be a very long list you can keep adding to. Be anxious for nothing. Not a platitude, a command. Be anxious, be worried, be fretful for nothing. But in everything, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Boldly and with confidence. And the peace of God which surpasses your puny little understanding will guard your heart and mind. Where? In Christ Jesus. Lord, I don't understand all that's going on. I sure don't. But I want to thank you. You got me this far. You've taken care of me every day of my life. You've gotten me through some hard times. You've gotten me over some foolish things I've done. You have, you have sent your Son for me. Thank you for that. And now this new thing. I don't know what's going on there either. But I know you. And I know you're at work in it. And I want to thank you for that. Even though I don't understand it yet, I ask that you would give me a peace about this. As Isaiah says, thou, God says through Isaiah, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, for he trusteth in thee. God's got this. There's your father behind you. Yeah, there's a bully over there. Something threatening you, but... 
There's my father. The battle is the Lord's. And so we learn today about prayer in the light of Christ's work on our behalf. I'm reminded of something else that Jesus taught us. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. We learned some truth today about prayer. That we're to go boldly. We're to go with confidence. And that sets us free. Therefore, James says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Then hear this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Just think about it. Think about how profound that is. How comforting that is. Go into his presence. Go through Jesus Christ and go with boldness and confidence. Let's pray. Father, too often we have come to you reluctantly or not come at all. Our shame and guilt and burden is often overwhelming. Our lack of faith in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ restrains us and keeps us from your throne of grace. Help us to learn the lesson of today's text that through faith in Him, we should come with boldness and confidence and cast all our cares upon You because You care for us. Amen. Again, I want to read Hebrews 4, 14-16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore... Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So as we come to the Lord's table, this table of thanksgiving, we begin by remembering all that he has done for us and he has done everything for us. And since he has taken care of the problem of our sins, then we have been set free. We can rejoice, we can be happy, and we can be bold, and we can be confident in the Lord. We can enjoy Him forever. And so, as we eat and as we drink today, let us be encouraged. Indeed, let us lift up our hearts. Blessed are the people, O Lord, that can rejoice in You. They shall walk in the light of Your face. Their delight shall be daily in your name, and in your righteousness shall they boast. Our mouths shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh give thanks unto his holy name forever and ever. Let us praise and magnify the name of the Lord together. We will give thanks to you, O Lord, secretly among the saints and in the congregation. We will sing unto the Lord as long as we live. We will praise our God as long as we have being. It is a joyful and pleasant thing to be thankful. The soul that blesses shall be made fat. For the good things which you have given us, we bless you, for you have blessed us. We humbly pray that enjoying your gifts in contentment, 
we may be enabled by your grace to use them to your praise. We are eternally grateful for our adoption into your family. Help us to be faithful children who show forth your grace. And now, Lord, we ask you to continue your mercies toward us, that all the world may know that you are our Savior and mighty Deliverer. Bless our feast, our fellowship, and our rest. Through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.